again, uh, I, I know these are different days, but I'm so glad to see us engaging, uh, adapting, and advancing together. The thing that hasn't changed this year of all the many, many things that have changed is our focus. This 2020 vision of seeing what God can do. We know that God can transform lives. We know that God can take what is broken and he can bring healing and hope because he's done that with so many of us. And it is now our privilege to be able to impact our homes, our neighbors, and every generation with this hope of Jesus that he has given to us and anticipating more needing to come, more wanting to come even this morning in this service. Uh, some have already been sent over to the student center. There was already a group there. Uh, we are recognizing more and more are coming, and I want to encourage you to continue to come. If you're at home and you're concerned, you know, can I come safely? Yes, you can. We are spaced out, not emotionally or mentally, but, but well, some of us are, let's don't lie, but uh, I'm going to get your attention in just a minute, but, but we do, we have space here so, so that we can be safe. And so starting next week, we are going to have three services in all three rooms, 8, 9.30, and 11. And again, I want to encourage you to, to be here. Uh, be here because it's safe to be here. Be here because it's good to be here. Now, we also know there are some who absolutely cannot be here. I think of a sweet lady this week who reminded me she's taking care of her mother at home. And there's responsibilities there. Others, that your health concerns, it's just, it's just not something that, that you feel safe to do. And you need to be a wise steward. We are going to continue to provide the service online. As a matter of fact, we're increasing our ability to do that. Right now, we're running a test uh, for our capacity. We have staff and some friends and family that are watching this on, on a, in a different way, on a different system that we're going to present to you pretty soon. And so again, for those of you who are not in this room, we're going to encourage you to gather with the church. We're going we're to provide even more uh, of, of a better way to do that. So we do this because it's so crucial that we gather together as God's family. This is a part of, of what it means to be the assembly, the called out ones. And, and we're going to do everything we can to help make that happen. So be praying toward that. Anticipate needing to engage, to adapt, and to advance together as we do it. As we continue to talk about it, as a matter of fact, as we end our time of talking about seeing the need for, for love, I encourage you to lean in and remember what we've been saying all summer long. Uh, we start a new series next week. We're going to talk about God's provision from Isaiah 43, how God's doing a new thing. I cannot wait to unpack these texts, these verses as a family of faith. But this week, we're going we're to finish up the series on love. And as we do, I want to remind you, love is a choice. It's not just a feeling. We are commanded to love. You can't command your feelings. You can command your choices. And we are commanded by God to love Him and to love other people. Now, we know very well that love is a scary thing. We, we began this series uh, several weeks ago, and, and I, I wanted to speak to this fear because I knew as we began to develop the series and develop our understanding of Scripture on this, it would be challenging for some to do this because there's a fear of, but if I do this, what might happen to me? 
Well, again, I, I, I go back to where we started with C.S. Lewis. Understand, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything in your heart will certainly be wrong and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it up carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least to the risk of tragedy, is damnation. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and perturbations of love is hell. We were made to love. If we stop loving, we cease to experience so much of what it means to be, to be human beings made in the image of God. Now, to love, again, is to be vulnerable. There's always the possibility that we will be rejected. We will be misunderstood. We will be attacked. And in those moments, when we are rejected, misunderstood, and attacked, we are experiencing what it means to, to feel like Jesus. Jesus was rejected. Jesus was misunderstood. Jesus was attacked and crucified. Jesus was willing to go through all of that because of love. Jesus said in John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And that's what Jesus has done. He has laid down his life for us. It's very important to understand why. Why did Jesus die on the cross? A lot of people don't understand this. And because of that, they don't, they don't understand salvation. They, they don't understand the gospel. It begins by understanding who God is. God is good. Make no mistake about it. God is good. He shows us kindness. And God is also holy. We, we were singing about that just a moment ago. We were, we were proclaiming the holiness of God, the perfection of God. So many people do not understand that, that God is holy and perfect, and he demands that we be holy and perfect. Not just good, holy and perfect. Here's what I know about every single one of us. None of us is holy and perfect. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory, the perfection of God. And that is why Jesus came. See, there is a punishment for sin. Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sin. When Jesus died on the cross, he took responsibility for us. And now, if we will repent and believe the gospel, the gospel is the good news that God has come in flesh, died for our sins. If we will repent of self-sufficiency and trying to do it on our own, believe that Jesus has paid it all and to, all, to him we owe, friends, we'll be free because not only will our sin be pardoned, but we will be given the righteousness of Christ so that when God looks at us, 
He doesn't see just us. He sees Christ in us. He sees Christ over us. And that's what a Christian, a Christian is. A Christian is not a person who is good and tries to do good. No, no. A Christian is someone who knows I cannot be perfect. I cannot be holy. I have sinned, but Jesus has paid the penalty for my sin on the cross. He has been raised. Jesus has been raised. He is alive. And now I can live in him and him in me. And I can be covered in his righteousness and in his righteous perfection. I can pursue and recover God's design. I can live the life I was made to live. I can be right with God. Please understand, if you've, if you've never repented and, and believed in Christ, you stand before God as one who is unholy. It's not that you're not good. It's that you're not holy and perfect. And God demands holy perfection. And that can only be received as a gift from God through Jesus Christ. And when we receive that gift, we gain his love. We get beyond our love that is always contaminated with sin. And we get to experience his love. And his love is a love that we can share. His love is a love that transforms. His love makes us new. Today, we're going to see what the Bible says about loving, about how to love. And some of the, one of the hardest groups of people to love, because I am one of them, are busy neighbors. How do we do that? How do you you engage with people? You know, one of the great blessings of COVID-19 is it has slowed us down. How many of you have noticed a a bit of a slower pace with COVID-19? Show of hands, most of you. Um, What has happened here, and I've seen it in our neighborhood, we are seeing more families take walks together than ever before. Dogs have never been so tired in all their existence. We're hearing stories of people having more conversations, more dinners together. Uh, People are are able to pray a little bit more, to think a little bit more, to process a little bit more. And friends, know that one day this pandemic is going to be history. And I pray that day is very soon. But but at the same time, as we get ready and as we enter into this post-pandemic season, know that the leadership of, of Living Hope is going to try to hold on to as many of these blessings of, of, a, of a less busy schedule as we can. We want to do everything we can to encourage continued gathering with families and friends, to take that time, to be blessed with that time. You know, this slowing down is good. It's good, especially for Americas, because, you know, in America, busyness is considered a badge of honor. In America. You know, when I was 23 years old, I I became a staff member of one of the fastest growing churches in the country. It was a church in Nashville, Tennessee. And when I came on staff, the the pastor, who was a very hard-charging guy, pulled me aside and met with me. He said, I'm going to tell you something. One of the greatest sins in the the pastoral ministry of America is laziness. He said, I want to guarantee you that you will never be lazy here. And can I tell you, he kept his word on that. I worked so hard and was so busy. So five years later, at the age of 28, 
when I became the pastor here at Living Hope, I committed myself. I'm not going to be lazy, and I'm not going to allow those who work with me to be lazy either. We're going to be busy, and we have been, and we are. But you know what? I found something in my heart, something that happened to me. I found pride. You know, there were people at times that would say, they'd come up to me and they'd say, Pastor, I know you're so busy, but could you meet with me? Could you pray? Could you talk? You know what I found myself doing? I felt myself being very pleased with how busy I was. And you know what? That's often what busyness will do. It will give us a, saw, a, a false sense of that we are well, that things are going good. Pride is bad. There was a guy mentoring a group of young guys uh, at our church a few years ago, and uh, they were all sitting around getting ready to have coffee. And one of the guys showed up late, and he said, I am so busy. And the, and the mentor said, are you bragging or complaining? So often we want to make ourselves seem so important because we're so busy. Can I tell you? Being busy is also a sign of a life that is not healthy. It's a life that is out of control. It is a life that is not honoring God. Now understand, there is a huge difference between being busy and and, and being active. Uh, There's a huge difference. There's a huge difference in being busy and being active and pursuing a calling with the right priority and passion. Let Let me help you understand the difference. When you're busy... You don't feel good about it. When you are active, pursuing your calling, pursuing your destiny and the strength that God gives, you feel joy. What do you feel today? Do you feel joy or something else? God is calling us to be active. Jesus was active in pursuing the Father's calling on his life. And we are to follow him. Our text today, it shows us how we are to do it. How are we to acknowledge busyness and deal with it? And then how can we love our busy neighbors? If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go now to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. It's one of the, uh, the most well, more well-known stories Um, in in scripture. And if you don't know this one, this will be a good one for you to learn. If you do know this one, uh, I want to encourage you to take fresh eyes and and look at what God's word has to say. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word. Again, we're in Luke chapter 10, and I'm going to read verses 38 through 42. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen? Amen. If you would be seated and pray for the preaching now of God's word. So Jesus and his disciples, are, they're headed to Jerusalem, and uh, Martha has invited them over for dinner, and there's some tension. 
Do you get the sense of there's a little tension? Have you ever been in a room with a little bit of that tension? Somebody's frustrated with someone else because they're not, they're not doing what that other person thinks they ought to be doing. Well, Jesus walked right into that tension. He, he, he saw it. He had the question come to him. He didn't bow out. He, he leaned in. And what he does here is he teaches us how to love our busy neighbors and helps us understand what we're to do if we are that busy neighbor. Take note of these three things, okay? First of all this, we love our busy neighbor best by showing a godly example. Mary sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. I love Mary of Bethany. We find Mary three times in the gospel record and on each occasion, guess where she is? She's always at the Lord's feet. She's always there honoring him, serving him, loving him, admiring him, worshiping him. There's a lot to learn from Mary. Mary provides for us this godly example of what is needed most in our life. The thing we need more than anything else, friends, is time with Jesus. You know what time with Jesus will do? It will challenge your mind. It'll inspire your devotion. It will thrill your soul. I was a part of a pastor's conference. Some 20,000 pastors participated in a conference this week. And there were two different speakers. And it was interesting to me that both speakers had a, a, a challenge uh, that they both shared. And, and they had other things to teach. But one of the challenges they both brought was a challenge to pastors to spend time with Jesus. Now, now interesting, I think a, lo a lot of people who are not in the ministry would, would find that odd, that pastors would be challenged to have to spend time with Jesus. Because, I mean, we study the Bible all the time. We pray all the time. But, but can I tell you, there are times when I am praying and I'm studying the Scripture for you for you. But here's what happens to me. If I don't study the scripture and pray with Jesus on my own, I don't have the fuel to serve you well. I have a calling and a mission. It's to make disciples. And I am privileged to be your pastor. Friends, I don't have a job. I have a mission. Can I tell you you don't have a job either. You have a mission. Whatever it is you do to make money, whatever it is you do during your daytime, God has put you there to be on mission for Him, to love, to serve Him, to be active in pursuing your calling and fulfilling your destiny. But if you are not fueling that mission, it will become a job. And jobs, they don't have a lot of joy. God calls us to his feet so that we can be fueled with his hope, with his love, with his strengths. And one of the best times, one of the crucial times for us to be with Jesus is when the church is gathered for worship. Friends, we must make gathering for worship a priority, not only for us, but for others, so that we can set an example for them. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25 says this, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, 
but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know, several years ago, there was a pastor who had moved here from the Northeast to plant a church in Bowling Green. He'd been here several months and I had found out about him. So I invited him to lunch and I just said, hey, look, I just want you to know you've got a friend in Living Hope. Uh, we are always wanting to encourage the advancement of the gospel and, and certainly recognize the need for more churches as our city is growing. If, if there's anything I can ever do for you, know that I'm here to help. He said, well, there is something you could do for me. I thought, well, great. That's, that's why I wanted to meet you. What can I do for you? He said, I need you to answer a question for me. I said, okay. Seemed like he was a little, kind of getting a little edgy on me. He said, I've met all the neighbors on my street. And they all say they're Christians. But almost none of them go to church ever. He said, can you explain that to me? He said, do y'all have like a clause in the Christian contract that you people don't have to go to church around here? I said, no, friend. No, see, what's happened here is there have become these things called casual Christians. And they're only Christians when they need something. They're casual with it. So about the only time some of those go to church is when they lose their job or someone gets sick or they're scared or afraid. There's not really a heart desire to bring glory to God. There's just always an understood need to get something from God from time to time. And so they'll, they'll go to church to try to get that, that thing. He said, you know, that's not how it is in the Northeast. He said, people don't claim Christ up there unless they're serious about it because it costs something up there. He said, you know, Christians are, are supposed to gather to set an example and to encourage one another. And I said, brother, you're preaching to the choir. You know, what's going to happen over the next few months is there are going to be a lot of people who are going to get further and further away from God who claim to be Christians. And and this is one of the greatest excuses that they've ever been given and they've never been so happy. Because the fact of the matter is many don't want to gather to worship the Lord. Many want to just do their own thing and to go to God when they need to get something out of Him. Friends, If that's how you feel, I just want to tell you, I don't think you're going to like heaven. Heaven is a place where we we praise God, where we celebrate His majesty, where we're in awe of Him and we're delighted. And no, this isn't heaven, but we can get a taste of it. We can be reminded of it. We can encourage one another with it. And we can be an example We can be an example to this very busy world that there's something greater to live for. And and when we gather for worship, we're showing that God comes first. It's like a tithe. We we give the first 10% of our income, and so it is with our time. The first thing we give to God, the first day of the week, is we say, Lord, you're first. And that sets an example. It strengthens our soul. It encourages the body. Jesus, he said, you got to love your neighbors. And one of the ways we can love them is that we can, we can show them an example. We can, we can show them how important it is to sit at the feet of Jesus. Second, we love our busy neighbor best by telling the truth lovingly. Telling the truth lovingly. I love verse 41. Martha, Martha. 
Does anyone have a Martha in your family? Show of hands, few of you. Uh, we have a Martha in our family, and I love her, and she's hilarious. And when she starts getting crazy, I just love to go, Martha, Martha. And she knows exactly what I'm talking about, is that, is that she is getting riled up, and she's about to ruin a really good thing. Friends, hear me. Serving Jesus is a joy. Serving Jesus is a joy. Martha was not joyful. No. Jesus said, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Warren Wearsby tells us, whenever we criticize others and pity ourselves because we feel overworked, we'd better take time to examine our lives. If serving Christ makes us difficult to live with, then something is terribly wrong with our service. There was a reason why Martha was not joyful. It's because she wasn't serving Jesus. Martha was serving Martha. When your service does not result in joy, it's because you're not serving Jesus. You're serving you. And you're expecting to get something in return. It's a, it's a trap that we all fall in. We, we all typically, we want to use God and pretend we're doing things for his namesake. But in all honesty, we're serving ourselves. What, one of the things we know we're doing this is because when, we, when we're serving, we're doing it because we want to be praised. We want to be praised. We want people to applaud us. We want people to thank us. We want people to see us. And we're never more like the devil than in that moment. Do you know that's why he was kicked out of heaven? Is because he was robbing God of praise. He didn't want to praise God. He wanted to be praised. He wanted to use God to get praise for himself. And you're not serving you when you're doing it to get praise. And, and oftentimes, again, when you're serving you, you're doing things for other people so that they'll owe you a favor. Well, we got to do this because you know they do this for us. Or you know they, we might need them to do something at some point. So we better go in and do this. You're not serving Jesus. You're serving you. We, we serve ourselves to get praise. We serve ourselves to, 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 to be able to get uh, a favor. We, we also serve ourselves to get power and control. Mom and dad, be very careful that you are serving Jesus and not yourself and how you're raising your children. Are you anxious and frustrated and angry about many things? Well, who are you serving? Are you serving Jesus or are you serving you? Because see, here's what happens is when we're serving us and we don't get what we want, we get angry. What's happening to Martha? She's not serving Jesus. She's serving Martha and she's not getting what she wants. And so what does she do? She gets upset. She's anxious and troubled. And here's what Jesus does so well. He lovingly steps in and says, Martha, Martha. Let me point out the very obvious thing that everyone else can see but you. You're troubled and, and anxious about so many things. You're missing the point. Friends, we all have blind spots. Everyone has blind spots. And, and we need people in our lives that can speak to those. But you know what we need? We need people who lovingly enter into those blind spots. 
We need people who come humbly and with kindness. Friends, before you speak into someone's blind spot, two things. Make sure you know that you actually love them and they know that you love them. A lot of people want to speak into other people's lives that they don't love because they want to control, they want to manipulate, they want to, they want to get something they want out of it. That's not the way of Christ. The way of Christ is to say, I love you. And I'm willing to step in and say something here because I love you and I love Jesus and, and, I, and I need you to know this. Make sure they know before you speak that you love them, not because of what you say, but because you have shown them love. Jesus was able to speak into Martha's life because she knew that Jesus loved her. She knew that. She knew that Jesus wasn't trying to manipulate her. She knew that Jesus wasn't trying to, to, to you know, just poke at her or to win some kind of ridiculous argument. No, 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 Jesus loved her. And he spoke truth with love. Friends, we've got to build relationships with one another. That's why we want you in a connect group. We want you to have people in your life that you know that love you so that they can pull you aside and say, hey, I want to show you a blind spot. And you can listen and trust them. Your neighbors need to know. Our neighbors need to know. People we work with, people all around, they need to know we love them. And the only way they can know that is we build a relationship with them. And we show them that love the way Jesus did. Last thing. We love our busy neighbor best by offering what is necessary. Jesus said, one thing is necessary. Mary chose the good portion which will not be taken for her. The greatest thing that any of us can offer to anyone else is a relationship with Jesus Christ. The one thing that is necessary for true life is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Mary was enjoying her relationship with Jesus. Martha was not. See, when we have a relationship with Jesus, it will not be taken from us. Listen to this promise. Listen to this good news. This is Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 38. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. When your, when your spiritual life is built on the love of Jesus, it will never be taken from you. If your spiritual life is built on you doing stuff for God. That'll be taken from you. There, there's some folks that are Christians that are really frustrated right now because they like to serve God in a certain way, doing it at a certain, a certain time, certain room. And you know what we're hearing a lot of them say? Well, I'm just not going to do that until I can do it the way I like to do it. Oh, well, good. As long as it's not about you. Friends, it, it's not just about doing things for God. It, if your spiritual life consists of you showing up to hear songs and hear people talk about God's stuff, it'll be taken from you. We were, we were in a position there for a while, and some people still are throughout the country, where they, they can't show up and just listen to stuff about Jesus. But they still have Jesus. 
because their spiritual life is not about what they do or what they sit and listen to. Their life is built on a personal walk, a personal love with Jesus. See, if your life is built on knowing, loving, and obeying Jesus, that will never be taken from you. And and if your life is all about just simply walking in his way, living in his life, you're going to always have opportunities and challenges. You're always going to be on this journey, growing you further, further into the love of Jesus. You're always going to have joy. You're going to have love. You're going to have hope. This is the life that Jesus offers. Friends, let's not offer our neighbors church services or church activity and responsibility or church financial giving. You know, most people, that's what they think Christians are up to when we talk with them. They just want my time, my talent, and my treasure. They don't care about me. They just want to use me like everybody and everything else in the world wants to use us. That is not what Jesus is offering. Jesus offers rest. Listen to what Jesus said. This is Matthew 11, beginning in verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest is not being free of activity. It's being full of peace and joy and hope. And you rest in that. Because look, look what Jesus said. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Notice Jesus didn't say, just go sit down somewhere and wait for this to be over. No, no, no. Jesus says, I... I I have a plan for you. There's something I want you to do. I want you to be active. But I don't want you to do it for you. And I don't want you to, to just be busy. No, no, no. Jesus says, I want you to know my love. And I want you to live in my love. And I want you to do everything you do because of love. And when that is the case, there's joy. Let me ask you, friends, how you feeling? How are you feeling? Do you have joy? Or are you just worn out? If you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and his love is not fueling your mission, you're going to wear yourself out and you're going to be miserable. Let's do this. If you would, let's bow our head and close our eyes. Wherever you are, at home, wherever you are, just if you would. I want to ask you a very simple question. Has there been a moment when you know that you repented of your sin and you prayed for Jesus to forgive you and to take, take your life and, and to fill it with his love? If you've never done that, you will never have rest. Let me encourage you to do something right now. Right now, in your heart, talk to God and tell Him this. Please forgive me, God. I believe Jesus paid the penalty for my sin. Fill me with your love. Cover me in your righteousness and holiness. Free me to pursue and recover your design for my life. Father, I pray that there are some right now who are being saved, who are becoming Christians, 
becoming holy and righteous before you, O God. Some of you are Christians. Are you anxious and troubled? Right now, ask God to give you rest. Renew your commitment to love Him and to live for Him and trust Him. Father, we are easily deceived. We think we've got it all figured out. But our, our thoughts and our emotions, they betray us. And they show us the truth. Without you, Lord Jesus, we cannot have peace. We cannot know perfect love. And we cannot live and fulfill our destiny. Father, make us a people who love you, honor you, and serve you so that we can be free and so that we will be filled with joy rather than anxious, frustrated, troubled lives. We ask you to do this for your namesake, for your glory and our blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.